Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Bianca Batuka, from Yost to Arbaugh, passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field. When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed M-Go Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis, their stories, and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers. Welcome to the Stadium in Maine podcast. I am Justin Rowe, joined by my co-host Michael Spath, and we have special guest Maddie Mushin on once again with us. It is Friday, April 2nd. I hope you guys didn't fall for any uh, April Fool's Day pranks yesterday. Uh, I know my fiance Jacqueline actually did. And it wasn't me, but she is a, a big Hamilton fan. Okay. I don't know if you guys have watched Hamilton. And there was a post out there that Hamilton 2 was coming out next summer. And she fell for it. She, like, texted my dad and everything because he's a big fan as well. Full on into it and then realized, like, five minutes later. So I hope you guys didn't fall for anything like that, did you? Well, I don't know about Maddie, but I mean – you know, here in Southeast Michigan, I think we all had an April Fool's Day joke played on us because it snowed um, <laughs> yesterday and it snowed pretty good. I mean, if you watch the the Tigers, the Detroit Tigers opening day uh, game, you know, Miguel Cabrera hit a home run um, in the first inning that he didn't think was he, he couldn't even see the ball because there's so much snow. And so he was like hustling his rear end to get to second base and slid into second base. The umpire's like, no, it's a home run. He's like, Oh my God, it's a home run. <laughs> um, so we all kind of had it, it played on us yesterday, but no April fool's day jokes yesterday. I have played them before. I don't, I don't know, but like April one really snuck up on me this year. I'm not sure why maybe it was uh, just because of pandemic, everything runs together. Um, but you know, yesterday we were talking about it and I was like, oh yeah, it's April fool's day. Like this was like four o'clock in the afternoon. So, uh, no, I did not have anything done, but, um, Maddie, did you, did, have you ever pulled this on anybody ever been had anything pulled on you? My family and I do it once in a while, every other year or so something comes up with my younger sisters and it will text in a group chat or something like that. But my family Everyone besides my middle sister went to Florida yesterday and my middle, middle sister and I are stuck at home with the dog until Sunday because um, I actually got COVID not this Saturday, but this past Saturday. So I'm recovering from that. So I don't think my family was really in the spirits to, uh, to do any April Fool's pranks. Um, you know, real just life. Not, just real not life there in the headspace. More. Yeah, real life was worse than any joke that you. Oh yeah, about. exactly. But the snow definitely did not help. I've been looking forward to going outside. That has been my one saving grace, and you know, 
got it lost left my parka somewhere so i have to had to pull that out yesterday but uh yeah the snow definitely did not help the spirits betty is this was your covid tests attributed to your trip to florida um not to disparage an entire state but i have now had uh in the last (laughs) month i have had i think six people i know who have come who have come back from spring break trips or some type of trip to florida that have all gotten covid and all of them attributed to their visits to this to the sunshine state I, I think it's going around Ann Arbor. Okay. So our house got it. Um, and I, I had it. I'm, I'm feeling great today. I've had it for pro- almost a week now, but um, it feels like a bad sinus infection when you are in the midst of it. But in the beginning, I really, if I didn't know that I was exposed, I would have thought it was allergies. So I think a lot of the, the ones going around right now, um, people just don't really realize with the springtime mm. that it's COVID because it kind of just seems like allergies. So mm. I think that's a lot of the, the cases that my doctor said are going around right now. But um, luckily for me, I didn't get it from Florida. So okay, okay. I'm well, sure that's... I can imagine that people are getting it from there as well. Okay. Well, last weekend, I mean, I, I got, you know, this was a week ago, Thursday. Now I got the first dose vaccine down at Ford Field. Uh, then Justin, you and I were talking and mm-hmm. it was the start of Michigan hockey, Michigan women's basketball and men's basketball, all with a chance to book a trip to their respective final fours. And it's, it didn't work out that way. No team made it to the final four. Uh, the h- hockey immediately had their season postponed because of COVID and contact tracing. And so they didn't even get to play in NCAA tournament game. So that was the first bummer that was dealt on, uh, on Friday uh, of last week. And then the women's team balled out um, in the NCAA tournament game against Baylor. They lost by three points in overtime. And I, I have a, a student in my class uh, that plays for the, for the women's basketball team. And I've, I've talked to a couple um, people close to the program or inside the program and I was telling them this story and, and I'm curious for both of you watching that game, um, you know, wh- like were you on the edge of your seat type of thing? I'm watching it with my wife who everybody knows is a, is a Spartan fan. Um, but when it comes to, you know, other when it comes to like football and sometimes when they play each other in basketball, like, she, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't have like a strong allegiance. So she's watching the Michigan women's basketball game with me. I think it's probably the first time she'd ever watched a women's game with me ever. And she's like going crazy. Like she's like jumping up off the couch. She's getting excited. She's pumping her fist. I mean, we were, that was an intense game. We were all in for it. And I mean, they had a great chance to win a couple different times in, in the first, in the, at the end of regulation, if they get a call here or there um, in overtime, they had a chance to win it. Um, you know, that was an inspiring performance. And I know that they lost and that's a total bummer. But man, how much better do you feel about the the future of this program uh, after watching them see, uh, watching them against Baylor in the uh, Sweet Sixteen? Yeah, I I was doing the exact same thing. I, admittedly, I don't know if I've ever been invested that invested in a women's basketball game uh, before, whether it's Michigan or back in the, my high school days or anything like that, but. Um, it was awesome, honestly, and and I've been very invested in softball before and some other sports, but not women's basketball. But I was uh, watching with Jacqueline, and we were both jumping off the couch and going crazy, and 
And it was, uh, it was awesome. I, I will say I am, you know, KBA is just, she is awesome. She's, she's such a great coach and she really leads this team. Her and Juwan Howard, we talked about it last episode. Um, they just have that special bond and they both uh, are able to get their teams to play above their expectations uh, and above their, you know, normal talent level. And so, uh, they are in great hands moving forward. That's for sure. Uh, if you can play with Baylor uh, and, and then you can play with anybody. Baylor is one of the top programs of the past five, 10 years in women's basketball um, in, in up there and have some uh, national championships to show for it. So absolutely. It's uh, I'm, I'm very excited for, for the state of basketball in general uh, in at the university of Michigan, specifically women's as well. Maddie, yeah. how about you? Like, what was yeah, what was that experience like for you last weekend? I mean, I think the the moment where I really was like, oh my gosh, you know, the the women can make it, you know, to the the final four national championship, play with the best of them. Moment for me was when they beat Tennessee. I mean, that nobody expected them to really beat Tennessee outside of the the Michigan fan base and watching their game against Baylor. Um, Obviously, Naz Hillman is, is a great player and um, has won numerous, numerous awards um, at her time at Michigan. But I, I think the rest of the team kind of fell through the cracks media-wise. Um, so that game, I mean, Leah Brown had 23 points, which is insane. Um, Kenray Johnson had 14 points. Those, those types of players where it, it's really a team sport, you know, you get a couple bench points here and there. It was to have that close to the game against Baylor, as Justin was saying. I mean, I think they really have a bright future ahead of them. Um, I think the program really came into its own this season and it, it was really great to watch. Um, I loved watching them play, you know, definitely wish that we could have gotten a national championship out of one of our teams that went, went into the tournament play, mm -hmm. but um, it, was, it was really fun watching them. I had a great time watching them this year. Well, I would, I would equate what I saw the other day, last weekend, is is I think you what you have when it comes to a lot of the of the women's sports and actually just a lot of the Olympic sports because I think the same thing was um, was the case with baseball a couple of years ago. Other than football and men's basketball, everything else at Michigan is a niche sport. It has a following, but it has like a specific softball following, a specific field hockey following, specific volleyball a following. And these programs don't go mainstream with the entire fan base until they do something spectacular. And in softball, you know, that was them winning the national championship in 2005. And once that happened, you know, their numbers grew. And what you ultimately see is you do still have the dedicated hardcore softball fans, but you have a lot of Michigan fans that just pay attention to the point almost where it's a little obnoxious because when they get to the big 10 tournament or the NCAA tournament, you've got people like, on Twitter and social media who are criticizing them when they, Oh my God, I can't believe that person struck out, you know, like they, they it's, but at the same time, that is a positive sign that like you've got more people invested when it, you're getting talked about on social media. And so for me, I think this game and this opportunity, and it was televised not on um, Maddie, we've talked about this. So you were a former student of mine uh, when we were talking about title nine last semester, and we talked about it again this semester you know, the, the women's tournament has often been on ESPN2 or ESPNU. Mm -hmm. They've been pushed to networks where I, I think the majority of the country probably gets ESPN2. I doubt the majority of the country gets ESPNU. 
Um, but they've been pushed to the networks where not a lot of people are seeing them versus, you know, the men's tournaments on CBS and on TBS and like more mainstream um, channels. Well, this game was on ABC Saturday afternoon, like prime time on a, on a weekend, um, you know, lead up to the, to the men's tournament. And it was a great opportunity to showcase what they're all about. And I tell you what's exciting. So like, I think this is a moment where a lot more people get invested in women's basketball. And if you are a, a Michigan fan to, to know that you have Nas Hillman back for a senior year, to know that you have uh, Daniel Rauch, who was one of the players who really came on in that game back for a senior year, to know that you have Leah Brown, who was probably the surprise and the biggest hit of the tournament uh, the Nebraska transfer who, um, you know, was, was as, as Maddie said, I mean, everybody knows about Nas, but I mean, was the second best player on this team all year and is maybe ready to be the best player um, on this team is back for her senior year. And then you got a lot of, you know, younger athletes that are going to be in positions to step up. And so I don't want to say like next year, it's like, Hey, sweet 16 or bust. Um, but if you're looking at this team, if they truly capitalize off their momentum, if they capitalize off of their experience, that they received uh, going all this way, they should really make a challenge for Big Ten title and a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, and you know another Sweet Sixteen berth with a chance to chance to go further uh, next season. Yeah, I don't see why not. I think you know as they keep moving in this direction, there's that that could they could be a consistent Sweet Sixteen team, and I don't want to say Sweet Sixteen because the thing about um, you know, talking about March Madness is it is March, right? Anything can happen. But I think the, the more, the bigger thing that we can talk about is them being a consistent team in the top of the Big Ten. Uh, and so throughout the years, uh, they haven't been, you know, unfortunately they have been towards the bottom of the Big Ten in a lot of these years. But I really do think that moving forward, they could be, uh, you know, build on this. As you said, Mike, a lot of these big players on their team right now could be back. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance that, you know, Haley Brown and Keen Ray Johnson could be back as well with, um, you know, with a, an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. So um, who knows what happens there? I, I'm honestly not sure if they've had those conversations yet or not, um, but uh, there's definitely a chance for that. And so they, they could reload here um, and, and really, you know, I, I, what I'm thinking is like, if Nas Hillman could do what she did this year as a junior, what can she do after one more off season of, of, you know, hitting the weight room and practicing and all that stuff and then coming out next year. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I don't want to set huge expectations for them, um, but I just think that they have the, the, you know, sky is, is the ceiling pretty much. They might, you know, I don't know why, why we wouldn't have, uh, why we wouldn't believe that they could go all the way or go to a sweet 16 elite eight uh, and, and deep have a deep run into March. I totally agree. And I think too, I would love to see them in the big 10, you know, compete with Maryland, compete with Indiana. And then Justin, just real quick, you mentioned, you know, hitting the weight room. I think that that whole NCAA scandal with the weight room, that whole thing. I mean, just, I think I was mad for about four days, like really, really (laughs) mad about it for like four days about it. Um, But I think that that was one of the things too. I mean, that was all over Twitter, all over TikTok, all over Instagram. Um, I think that was one thing that really shed light onto the women's tournament as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, every, you know, NBA player was talking about it. All of the Michigan 
um, men's basketball team athletes were tweeting about it. I think that that kind of was another tipping point really for the whole women's tournament, I think this year um, to kind of get more viewership, um, you know, even like people that I didn't even really know even watch the men's basketball team were tweeting about it and mm -hmm. posting on their Instagram stories. Um, and, and, you know, there's words to be said about the way that it was handled in the end. Um, but I think that that was another thing that we, I don't think really got a chance to talk about it, but that really just blew my top off. I was, I was mad about that for a while. Yeah. And I guess, and I, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that, Maddie. I mean, you have the right to be, not only does every woman out there, every female basketball fan, but like every person, regardless of sex should have been mad about that. You know, I mean, like to see the inequity between the two was ridiculous. I tweeted about it quite a few times. Um, that, that, you know what? Yeah. That just really pissed me off because like, there's no rationale for that at all, other than you just not caring one bit, other than you just like saying like, they don't matter as much. Um, and we're not going to invest the same type of commitment and resources. And, you know, I know Mark Emmert talked a little bit about like, well, they had a championship uh, leadership group that led the men and they had a championship that led the women and the women didn't think about it. But the fact that, you know, even if that is the case, I mean, where's the oversight and why don't the, the, the championship group for the women think about it? It, it was, it, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. One real quick thing, Justin, because you said this about Nas Hillman, like imagine what she can do as a senior. I think she's going to have a hard time. Like I, I get that, like, you know, people come back and you always think that they improve, but yeah. how do you improve on this? 24 points per game, 11 and a half rebounds per game. Um, and she, uh, what, what did she shoot overall here? Uh, free throws, 75%. She shot 62.3% from the floor overall. Like, I think that's going to be really hard to replicate. And I think one of the big reasons she put up those type of numbers is because her team needed her to put up those type of numbers, um, you know, game after game after game. But I think the emergence of Leah Brown, I think the emergence of Daniel Rauch, I think, you know, Maddie Nolan, who had a, a good postseason, um, you know, Whitney Solom was the, uh, what the Michigan, you know, the state of Michigan player of the year, um, two years ago, she came in as a freshman and like barely played, um, you know, like what will she be capable of next year? Uh, Isabel Varejo, um, was stuck in Brazil. Uh, you know, she's someone who six, four center that will now be eligible to play next year. Like, I think there's gonna be a lot more pieces to this that I don't think Nas is going to be in a position where maybe she does score over 20 points per game again. I mean, she's that type of player, but I don't think it's going to be necessary for her to do that in order for Michigan to be a successful. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, I agree. I think that you're, 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 you hit the nail on the head there where sometimes when a player has this type of a season, it's really tough to follow it up. Even if the pressure is on them, even if the opportunity is there and they don't have to spread the ball around, it's really tough to follow a type, uh, this type of a season up like that. So um, I hear you. Definitely. Um, I just think that there, you know, there's, there are, uh, going to be opportunities for her and maybe she's not scoring 24, 25 points a game, but she's still going to have that, you know, a huge impact on this team. And so I see it, maybe it, maybe it's like a, a Hunter Dickinson type of um, impact where when, you know, now teams are going to double team her and now she can kick it out to these other players and, and uh, you know, give them opportunities as well. So it, you can make a huge impact by not scoring 24 points a game. Right. 
Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do. And I wanted to touch on too, um, you know, Maddie, to your point as well, um, with, uh, these Michigan players dealing with the NCAA, uh, they made waves a little bit in the past couple of days as well, where, you know, Isaiah livers and Jordan Bohannon and geo Baker are leading this charge on the not NCAA property, uh, whole thing. And so, uh, you know, he, Isaiah Livers came out and said they asked for these women's player, a few of these women players to be a part of these meetings. And Mark Emmert said, no, I just want to meet with the three of you. Well, then, of course, uh, you know, the NCAA came out and straight up lied about it and said, no, we never received any uh, any ask to have the women a part of the uh, these meetings. Well, turns out there's an actual email from you know not too long ago that asked for them to be a part of it and so i saw that uh isaiah livers came out and personally told akeen ray johnson and Nas hillman um that he uh you know uh, he's keeping them involved and he wants them to be involved in this um, which i think is really cool of, of isaiah livers uh to be to be you know thinking of them in this in these times and, and making sure that they're involved because obviously women's sports is such a big piece of college athletics um, you know, I know that we all, we all know that the big three football, men's basketball and hockey get probably the most attention. Um, but with Title IX, with everything else, there are a lot of women's uh, teams out there and they deserve more attention. They deserve to be part of these conversations because, you know, I, I think about there are Nas Hillman could be in an NIL situation. She, she could be making, you know, solid money off of her name, uh, you know, and likeness. And so I think, you know, for, for the women's side of this name image likeness, it actually can be even more impactful for women sometimes than men, because uh, for men, uh, let's be honest, there is an opportunity post uh, post college to play and make a lot of money in, in terms of the women, there aren't, those same opportunities all the time so for women to be able to make this money and and uh profit off of their likeness while in school i think it's very important for them and, and i i applaud isaiah livers and and i applaud nas hillman and keen ray johnson for uh making this charge yeah, yeah I, I mean i'll say this um you know you're saying like, well, it's good of him to do, but it's actually really powerful of him to do because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a, there was a stat that they, that they talked about last weekend when the tournament was going on. And it was, I, I think they showed like the top 10 um, social media followers in college basketball were all female athletes. They weren't yeah. male athletes. They're all female athletes. And so you know, is he doing this altruistically because he's like a good guy and he like wants to include his female counterparts is maybe he could also be doing it because it's really smart because he knows like they have a lot of leverage and they have more leverage than I do as Isaiah Livers because they have a bigger followings than I do. And so I, I think it just, it's, it's smart all the way around. Um, and, and yeah, I have this debate all the time. Like I, I tell people that, you know, and, and I've seen this from a number of, um, of, of experts out there that, there are so many opportunities for regardless of sex uh, for name, image, and likeness to, for you to benefit from it. And so um, the NCAA is, is being grilled uh, this, uh, this week by the Supreme court. Um, it doesn't appear that they're going to win their case. I don't think it's very much longer before student athletes have way more power 
to benefit from their name, image, and likeness than they do now. And I think too, it's crazy because I mean, Michael in our class, um, we talked a lot about how the NCAA um, defines these athletes as student athletes. And we talk all the time um, in class about how, you know, what's the definition of a student athlete? At what point do they become more so an athlete than a student? Even with the tournament play, we talked about how they were going to be in Indianapolis um, and San Antonio for like the entire time. And obviously online school and stuff, you know, you can kind of do it from anywhere, but, you know, they were kind of expecting these players to stay in a confined environment, you know, don't have a lot of school aids. At what point is the NCAA going to just get off their high horse about the whole, oh, they are students before they're athletes um, spiel that they keep on saying again, again and again and again about these athletes. And I think, you know, Isaiah Livers has brought light to that with, you know, his t-shirts that he's not NCAA property. Um, and, and to that, these women should be included in these conversations if, you know, they are NCAA athletes and they do take just the same amount of time as these, you know, their male counterparts in the same sport that they play to put in the work, put in the hours, you know, sacrifice not being in Arbor, you know, being in San Antonio for the tournament. To have meetings about name, image, and likeness without the, you know, women athletes being there, it, it just blows my mind how anyone in higher up power, um, you know, can kind of push, push out under the rug, you know, not really say that these, these women athletes need to be at the meetings. It just, it really blows my mind, you know, to have people in power just kind of share their, their duties for these players who they expect to be, you know, working for them for free, have no, no um, you know, level up with the name and image and likeness. It just, it really, really just blows my mind. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this conversation before we move on to um, the men's tournament and some football talk uh, with, with two real quick stories. Uh, and if you know me, I don't think either one might be really quick, but uh, <laughs> the first is again, um, you know, teaching uh, at the University of Michigan, I have a number of student athletes in my class and uh, I have a couple of them um, that were playing this past weekend in the tournament. And one of them, um, said to me, uh, on the basketball side said, you know, Mr. Spath, I apologize. I don't know if I'm going to make it to lecture or discussion any day this week, because every single day, the NCAA gives us our schedule of when we're supposed to practice and when we're supposed to lift and when we're supposed to do, be able to do all this stuff. So I, I'm sorry, but I don't know if I'll be able to be in any of your lectures. This is like uh, my class is Monday and Wednesday, 1130 to one discussion group is on Tuesday from 10 a.m. to noon. And they did not participate in any lecture. And they also were like, well, is there any chance I get an extension on, they had a, an assignment due. And they're like, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry about this, but it's like, like, you don't know, like we're being shuttled around. Like we have, you know, like, it's just, it's just crazy. Like what the atmosphere is down here. And like, how do you make the case then that, that this is about the student part of student athlete? when someone is at the basketball tournament and for three straight days can't make a lecture because they're moving their practice times all the way around and they're busing from location to location and um, busing from, you know, Indianapolis where they're staying to Lafayette for practice to, 
take have a game a couple days later in you know hinky field how i mean like that that's like in and i don't think most people think about it i don't think most fans actually care about it and maybe i didn't either i'll be honest i never really gave it that much thought until i became a teacher and now i can see it firsthand and it drives me crazy it absolutely drives me crazy um to see how uh you know they everything is about athletics to the ncaa except when it comes to the PR side and they want to look good. And then it's about the student athlete. Right. So um, I find that just appalling. And the second part is actually right now, my students are all working on, they all had to turn in an assignment that was about academics and athletics. And they had to interview a, um, a graduate of a power five conference school. Um, actually I opened it up to all division one athletics because some of them struggled to find a power five but they had to ask a, a recent graduate or a, a longer graduate, like, what did you want to major when you came into school? What did you end up majoring in? What were the challenges? And I will tell you, like, almost, I've graded, I don't know, 38 of these 45 papers so far. And out of the 38, I think that 30 of them, the major that they wanted to do was a major that you would, you would say, like, okay, you know, business at Michigan, political science at Michigan, engineering um, at the school that they went to you know, nursing, medicine, like they all had like these grand aspirations. And I would say 90% of them end up in like general studies, kinesiology, um, which I graduated from kinesiology. So, Hey, but it's, it's, but it's done in a way to like push them into a, what is considered like an easier, more flexible major. None of them can take classes after 1 PM. None of them could take classes in the evening. Um, all of them had their opportunities limited including Michigan. Okay. Like let's, let me get this out there. Like Michigan is also limiting these student athletes um, opportunities. And so again, is this really about the education or is this about athletics and keeping them eligible and, you know, Hey, you get to say you graduate from, from wherever with a degree, but what does that degree look like? Did you really get the full opportunity to pursue that? And I'll be honest, one of my, one of my students who's currently on the football team said, you know, Mr. Spath, like, I, I really want my degree from University of Michigan. He's like, but I understand that if I don't play to my best potential with football and I don't give everything I possibly can to my football team, that the chances of me walking out of here with a degree are not as high because I'm going to get like, he said, not really punished, but like, there's just going to be this emphasis that I need to like football, football, football. He's like, so I need to make my education secondary to football because that's why I was brought here. And that's why I'm still here. And I was like, all right. Well, that's a great answer, but it's also a very sad, sad answer. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think that's like, it's the sad truth, right? It is. I mean, I don't think there are any student athletes out there that would, that would argue with uh, what he's saying there. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where again, like you, like you said, it's comical that the NCAA, when they, when it comes down to the PR move, they always have a commercial during the NCAA tournament about these student athletes, you know, walking to class and doing all that stuff. Well, I highly doubt on the, the women's basketball schedule as they're shuttling around and as they're practicing, I highly doubt that they had anything put in there for study time or class time. Uh, so it's all about what they, uh, how these, uh, student athletes can make them money and, and give them TV revenue and all that stuff. And so putting them in a bubble, I would say is probably not, although it was probably the safest way and it was the way that they could get through a tournament without, with as, as few COVID cases as possible. It is not, uh, the best case scenario for a student, uh, athlete. It is the best case scenario for an athlete. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that pans out. And if, um, you know, it's already passed, right. It's supposed to go into effect, I think in 2023, but they're trying to expedite this process. Um, and so I, I, it'll be interesting to see if it, if it does get expedited to start, uh, you know, in 2021, uh, maybe beginning in the fall or something, uh, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, well, let's uh, move on to to the men's tournament and uh, and football. Um, but first, uh, Mike, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about our sponsors? Sure, sure. A couple of great sponsors um, for the Stadium of Maine podcast, which uh, I, I, as, a, as a FYI, I think the Stadium of Maine podcast is going to come to a short end, a brief end. Um, at the end of April here, we're going to take a couple of months break because there's um, not a lot of uh, sports uh Michigan sports to, to talk about. Um, so we're going to take a, a momentary break, but thanks to our sponsors who have been great with for us all year. Um, uh, Lewis Jewelers, uh, where he ever goes to get engaged and where Jacqueline and uh, Justin mm-hmm. Rowe, future Justin, uh, Mrs. Rowe, uh, got engaged. So congratulations to you guys again. And uh, you guys have always had an awesome experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know one of the things that I've said before that I really appreciate about uh, Lewis Jewelers is they don't operate on commission. And so they're not trying to upcharge you. They're trying to uh, find the piece of jewelry that is best for you and your situation. Um, and they have so many different price points and they have so many, you know, such great options, um, really friendly people there. Uh, you will not find a better jeweler um, in Southeast Michigan. Uh, of course, our good friends at Wolverine State Brewing Company. I don't know the last time you were in there, Justin, they've got a lot of brand new beers on tap. Um, Nate, uh, our good friend, Nate Fritz recently did uh, redid the menu. Um, some couple of good new options on the menu. Uh, and you know what, as, as people are getting vaccinated, whatever your comfortability level is, I mean, they have an outdoor space, they have indoor space, they've got great happy hour deals. Uh, so, you know, check out wolverinebeer.com and get in there. Uh, and of course, uh, our good friends at uh, Captain Insurance Group, um, where I transitioned from uh, sports media uh, to sell both uh, small business insurance and uh, home and auto insurance. And I've got to say it's, I, I've worked for some great people um, in my life, but this is as good of a group as I've ever worked with. And I have awesome colleagues and everybody pitches in, everybody helps each other out. Um, it is, you know, there's, there's nothing that we can't handle. Uh, you know, I, I got, I got someone calling me from Florida the other day asking uh, if we could help them with their, with their business insurance. And I said, yes. I mean, we help startups. I just recently did a, a, a startup for a, a window cleaning business, working on a distillery right now, working on a brewery right now. Um, working on a dry ice company right now, working on a solar panel um, company right now. I mean, like whatever it is, we can help you uh, take care of your insurance needs. Uh, so you can reach out to me at uh, mspath, M-S-P-A-T-H, at kapnick.com. So Justin, Maddie, uh, you mentioned this earlier with uh, Nas Hillman and Leah Brown, and, and then you said, you know, maybe um, A.K. Johnson and Haley Brown could come back for a sixth year or fifth year of eligibility and you know there's a lot to talk about with this men's basketball team but but let's start with let's start with something going forward here and Sean Day Brown, Eli Brooks, Isaiah Livers, uh, Mike Smith, Juwan Howard said in his uh, his, his final uh, maybe wrap-up press conference of the year after they lost to UCLA in an Elite Eight game earlier this week that all four seniors, uh, five seniors, Austin Davis, you know, hey, if they want to come back, let's talk. Now, you know, we don't really think that's the case for all five of them. Isaiah Livers is expected to go pro. 
Um, Austin Davis is not supposed to be back for a sixth year of eligibility. Um, but the other three guys, Shondae Brown, Mike Smith, Eli Brooks, there's been some rumblings. And the most recent thing that I have heard uh, from a pretty good source is that both Eli Brooks and Shondae Brown are heavily considering a return to Michigan for one more year, what would be a fifth year of eligibility. What are your thoughts on the trio that could return uh, and and what do you make of this report that, um, or at least from what I've heard, that Eli and Shonda Brown could be back at Michigan? I I would welcome them with open arms. I mean, you we watched Shonda Brown become you know one of the fan favorites, that's for sure, and he was so meaningful to this team, especially down the stretch when Isaiah Livers went out with his foot injury, and so. I, I would welcome both of them back. We also saw how important Eli was when he couldn't play against Minnesota and Michigan looked all out of sorts. And so um, as much as I am confident in the young guys that they could step up, I still think that you would you would take an Eli and a Shondi any day of the week. I honestly, you would take any of these guys. Um, I think you would take Mike Smith. You would really take Austin Davis back again to be a, a backup center as well. Um, I just, here's, here's my thing about it is I, yes, I would love them back. I think, you know, you can't possibly say that you don't want those guys back because of how meaningful, the meaningful they worked for this team and how well this team worked with them at the helm. But how does that, how do these freshmen that are coming in fit in with that? How does a Caleb Houston, how does a, how does a Diabate, how do those guys fit in now? Cause you know, Michigan and Juwan Howard are moving towards this five-star type of recruitment aspect, right? And so that's much different than John Beeline. Uh, that's much different than we've seen in the past where guys come in, they sit right away. They maybe, you know, sit for their freshman, maybe their sophomore years too. Um, and so that's where I'm wondering, how is this going to, how are these guys, these freshmen going to come in? Are they going to be okay as five stars but with sitting right away? If, if uh, Shondi and Eli come back, how does Zeb Jackson fit in the mix? How does Terrence Williams fit in the mix? So there's a lot to be had. There's a, there's a lot of, of people that, a lot of guys on this team that can make an impact right now, let's say in the fall and winter of 2021, uh, how are they, all, how, how are we going to spread out 40 minutes uh, between, you know, between all those guys? So as much as I would love them back, I still think that's going to be tough for Juwan Howard to say, all right, you know, Caleb Houston, you're our dude, but we aren't going to get you 30 minutes a game because we've already got, you know, some guys that are in. So, um, you know, I think about Brandon Johns, how he came back, uh, not came back, but how he came on in this in this final stretch here with Isaiah Livers out. And I could see him with a, a big impact as well. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see if that is the case. Uh, how does Juwan Howard handle it all and how does he spread the ball around? Yeah. And I, and I mean, I'm biased, but I, I have one month left until graduation, but I would consider a six year fifth year um you know if those guys come back i think too like when you end the season hey Maddie, i would consider a fifth year if someone would let me go back to michigan yeah exactly exactly i'm biased but uh i i think too they played you know well in the tournament i think that last game against ucla was kind of not a, i mean obviously it was a bummer nobody wants to lose in the 
NCAA tournament, but I think they, they just didn't play to their abilities, I think, in that game. So I think after that, you know, everyone wants to come back on the team, you know, nobody wants to end a season like that. Um, but I think too, it'd be nice to see, obviously like we lost Isaiah Livers, um, you know, at the end of the season there, it would have been nice to see him play a little bit. I think to your point, Justin, you know, how are they going to fit everyone into the roster and playing time? I would have loved to see, you know, a deeper, deeper bench. I think you see Hunter Dickinson come out. Um, my dog's coming in to say hello. Oh, hi, Bunker. Um, <laughs> you know, you see Hunter Dickinson take a couple minutes on the bench, you know, whether he's in foul trouble or whether he's just tired out and Austin Davis come in for him. And, you know, I would have loved to see a situation like that where if your star player needs a couple minutes to, you know, either if they get followed out or if, if they need a breather to have their, their substitute, I guess you could say, come in. But I would love to see something where they have similar skill sets. You know, it's not so much of a, oh, you know, I guess in the situation like a hunter, you come out, Austin, you go in and, and then Hunter, whenever you're ready, just go back. And I think it would be, you know, great for a Michigan team if you're going to have these players return um, to have their counterparts be someone that you can depend on, to, you know, mm -hmm. in, in playing time. If, you know, Eli gets hurt or, um, you know, if Shondi gets hurt to have someone like a Zeb Jackson come in and, and really just show out, um, you know, obviously I would love to have, um, a really deep bench, but mm -hmm. I think with, when I, Isaiah Lovers, um, you saw that his counterpart, I mean, Shondi was great and really, really uh, came into his own, but I think that would be a nice thing for a Michigan basketball team, especially coming after, after this season. Um, I think that that would be something that I would love to see next year. Well, I mean, like, look at, look at Florida state to your, to your point, Maddie. I mean, you know, the team that Michigan beat in the sweet 16, you know, they were consistently playing, um, 10 or 11 guys. Could it happen? Yes. Have I seen it for underneath John Beeline, underneath Juwan Howard? No, they've kind of topped out at eight. I think you could see nine. I mean, the ninth guy in Michigan this year was Terrence Williams, and he did play some meaningful minutes um, in the postseason. But, you know, I look at this and say, I mean, uh, again, to, to, to both your points, like I've got the, the what would be the roster in front of me of Shawnee Brown and Eli Brooks returned, and then you Davis, Livers, and Franz Wagner all left, and, and, and Mike Smith left. And, like, at the five, you know, you have Hunter Dickinson, and then is Brandon Johns your backup at the five? I mean, he can be. He showed that, but he's better suited at the four. So one of those two freshmen, Will Cheddar or Musa Diabate, are going to play as Hunter's backup. Mm -hmm. um, maybe both of them. Um, you know, at the, at the one – you know, if Eli Brooks ends up being your starting point guard next year, then you've got Frankie Collins and Zeb Jackson competing to be his two. One of those two guys is going to play. And we saw Zeb, like, is Zeb going to be ready for that next year? You know, hopefully he did get some experience this year, but um, that'll be a competition. And then between the, the two, three, and four, I mean, you've got Sean Day Brown and you've got Brandon Johns coming back who are, who are going to be your veterans. And I've got to say, if Sean Brown comes back, I'm geeked because what he started showing down the stretch, not just with his ability to hit the three, but his ability to hit, uh, you know, mid-range jumpers, his ability to get to the basket. Like, I think he could be a really special player. I think he could be one of the top five players in the Big Ten um, if he were to come back and start and get, you know, 28 to 32 minutes per game. 
But if you look at that, I mean, look at the, the, you know, Terrence Williams, Jace Howard, or either one of those guys, Jace, really not Terrence, maybe a little bit to get a bigger role, but we're not exactly talking about like either one of those guys being superstars. So at the two, three, you're talking about Isaiah Barnes, Caleb Houston, Terrence Williams, um, Kopi Bufkin. Like, I think there's going to be an opportunity here. When you look at returning guys that are coming back from Michigan, who you would expect to play significant minutes, you're talking, if these guys come back, Eli Brooks, Shondi Brown, Brandon Johns, Hunter Dickinson, those four. And then what do you make of Terrence Williams and Zeb Jackson? If both of them play significant minutes, then you're talking about you can get, you know, three out of those six freshmen are probably playing a good deal. And three of them are probably spending a little more time um, in the background. If, if, if only one of Terrence Williams and Zeb Jackson balls out, then four out of the freshmen have a chance to really get in, in, in some minutes. So I think there'll be an opportunity for, for Caleb Houston. I really do. I think there'll be an opportunity for Frankie Collins. Um, and so I'm not really worried about that. And frankly, you'd rather have too many than too few. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. this year when Eli Brooks did get hurt, how much of a bind did that put Michigan in? They didn't have an adequate uh, number. You know, they didn't have, it was Zeb Jackson who they needed to rely on a little bit to play the two and the one when Mike Smith couldn't go the full 40 minutes. And sometimes he did go the full 40 minutes. So like they need a little more depth. When Isaiah Livers got hurt in this, uh, this postseason, you know, they were able to get by, but you know, as soon as Franz Wagner didn't have a great game, they lost and they were out of the tournament. And so if that were to happen again next year, you'd like to have a little bit more depth. You'd like to be able to have someone that you can go to on your bench that has maybe less experience, but so much overwhelming talent and all he needs is his opportunities. So I think it'll work itself out. If someone transfers, I mean, I don't want to see it happen because I want to see these guys get their degrees, but it's just the nature of college basketball. And when you look at that class, six freshmen coming in, well, all six of those guys graduate from the University of Michigan? Probably not. And I think Juwan understands that. And John Beeline was starting to understand that towards the end of his career and adapting to it. Um, but that is college basketball in 2021. Yeah. And uh, before I get into it here, I think Maddie's got to run. So Maddie, thank you so much for joining us uh, once again this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, giving, giving your great input here. Enjoy Florida. Hopefully COVID, uh, hopefully you get over COVID quickly here and then can uh, enjoy some sunshine. The best, I think the best uh, cure for anything is, is some sunshine. That's for sure. Right. Oh, yes, for sure. I'm very, very excited, looking forward to it. And I mean, just blessed that I, I didn't get it, didn't get it too bad. It just felt like a bad sinus infection. So, you know, lucky, lucky to be able to have my health. And I think we're getting on the, getting on the end of it here. But um, my, my dog's, you know, sitting next to me, getting, <laughs> getting ready to go out. So I'm, I'm needed in other, other areas, but, uh, <laughs> you know, always a pleasure. Be safe, Maddie. Thank you. So yeah, Mike, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think, you know, that's where it, there is so much depth on this team now. And I think that Juwan Howard did a great job of getting Zeb Jackson and Terrence Williams, some, some solid playing time uh, as freshmen that they will be ready to step in. Um, and I think that Caleb Houston, as you said, is going to be a guy that's going to be able to step in right away. Diabate, I'm not so sure just because uh, he's going to have to play four or five. And I don't know if he's going to, his body is going to be ready. If he's going to, you know, maybe Camp Sanderson. Camp Sanderson works miracles. 
So maybe he gets him into shape right away, but I don't know if he's going to be able to, to come in and make that big of an impact right away. Uh, and then, as you said, Kobe Bufkin, Frankie Collins, I, there's a lot of talent here, Mike. I just, and, and you know, the one thing that we haven't even talked about is there's a chance that Juwan Howard uh, takes a look at the transfer portal uh, as well. Once again, you know, as he did with Mike Smith and Shondi Brown. And so the transfer portal, my God, it's, it has, there is so much talent in the transfer portal right now. It's insane. Uh, and so I, I just, I, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to all shake out, but I think it's a tall task for Juwan Howard to take a look at this lineup and say, all right, I've got X amount of minutes here. I've got X amount of minutes here. You know, I think he's going to go into fall camp with a really deep roster and have to shake some things out. And I think there's probably going to be some people that maybe deserve some time, but won't get it because of because there are so many good guys that, that can get uh, that are going to be able to have an impact. So there may be some transfers out maybe mid season or something like that, or even before the season. I don't know. We haven't heard of any transfers out uh, yet in terms of uh, uh, from Michigan where pretty much, I believe Michigan, I was looking at the, uh, the big 10 Michigan is one of the only teams in the big 10 that have zero transfers, uh, zero current players on the roster that have said that they're entering the transfer portal yet. So, um, well, Justin, what, what's interesting. Yeah. You know, obviously Juwan's going to know his roster way better than we do. And he mm -hmm. did a year ago because he brought in Mike Smith. He brought in Shonday Brown, uh, and he brought in, um, the kid from Purdue, Noel Eastern before his credits didn't transfer. He knew what he needed. He went out and got those pieces. He's going to be able to have, he and his staff are going to have a real good sense of like, okay, out of our six freshmen who are going to be ready to help us compete next year. And if it's, you know, if it's four guys, then maybe they don't need the transfer portal at all. If they get Eli and Shonda Brown back, if they don't get Eli and Shonda Brown back, I would truly expect them to pursue uh, players from the transfer portal because they will want experience. I mean, if you don't get those guys back, then you're looking at, um, you know, a senior class of Adrian Nunez and Brandon Johns, nobody in your junior class. And then you're relying on, you know, Zeb Jackson, Terrence Williams, and Hunter Dickinson as sophomores. Like you want more experience and leadership um, than, than just that. So yeah, I'll be very curious to see how he, how he manages uh, this, uh, this roster going forward um, and what ultimately the, the big 10 uh, shakes out as. Um, but what an exciting time to be a to be a Michigan basketball fan. What a terrible disappointment it was to lose mm -hmm. to UCLA. Um, and I, I spoke to someone inside the athletic or inside the basketball program yesterday, and the general sense from uh, from the basketball program was, you know, damn, like we did not play well, we did not shoot the basketball well, which we could all see. And this was one of those classic and. And you don't want to take anything away from UCLA because they're on a good run and they're playing, they're playing really good defense. But this was the classic, like the other team really didn't beat Michigan. Michigan beat Michigan. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's hard. Like if you're going to lose in a tournament, especially how much fun this team was having and how much fun we were having as Michigan fans, like if you get in that game where you lose to Gonzaga in the final four, 90 to 82, and you just ran into a team that, that was – hotter than you and a little bit better than you and you could say like okay damn like that sucks but we ran up against the best team in college basketball this year they were just a little bit better than us I don't think UCLA is better than Michigan and and again like I know that they beat Alabama and they beat you know Michigan State and 
um, some other good programs along their way. I don't think they're better than Michigan. You play this team 10 out of 10 times, and I think Michigan wins eight of those, maybe nine of those. This was the one night uh, where Michigan was completely off. Mike Smith had a bad game. Um, Franz Wagner had a dreadful performance, one of 10 overall, 0 of 4 from three-pointer, missed you know two three-pointers at the end, uh, one of them wide open that would have uh, essentially won the game for Michigan. Um, Eli Brooks, you know, was, was probably the best of the three of those guys. And I mean, he was off, he missed uh, layups, um, including one right at the end that he, he probably had a little more time with and he hurried and, uh, try to get maybe a little bit too fancy with, um, they missed free throws. I mean, it it was the, it was a game that they beat themselves and that's the hardest part. And I don't know about you, but it, it took me a good 24 hours to 36 hours to, to fully, I wouldn't say fully get over just to kind of like push it to the side and, for me, like we're going into the final four weekend. Like, I don't know that I'm going to watch the final four. I'll, I'll watch the championship game on Monday, but I'm just not really that interested in watching Gonzaga play UCLA knowing it should be Michigan. Yeah, I, I totally, I'm, we're sitting here right now. It's Friday and I'm like kind of dreading tomorrow, honestly, because I know that I'm just going to be thinking about all day, how that should be Michigan playing Gonzaga. Uh, there's there's no way around saying that Michigan should have won that game. Um, to be honest, I don't want to be too hard on these guys, but it was a pretty big choke job, Mike. And you know, it let it, it's. I will say this: it's very funny how we approach this basketball team compared to how we approach the football team. If the football team would have done anything like what happened on on Tuesday. It would have been, I mean, everybody just raining down on Harbaugh and this football team. Um, but because the basketball team is so likable and they exceeded expectations and, and yada, 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 um, I think everyone ha- gives them a little more leeway. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, Michigan had every single chance. All If, if Michigan makes, you know, uh, what were they, six for 12 or six for 11 from the free throw line? If they're, you know, nine for 11 from the free throw line and make just two more buckets, this, you know, put in some free throws at the end, it could have been a 10 point win for Michigan. It was really, they, UCLA wanted to give them every single chance. And, and the other part too, is Johnny Juzang had, you know, if you stop John, Johnny Juzang and hold him just to, you know, 10 points less than he had, it's a 10 point win as well. And so I was frustrated that Franz Wagner wasn't guarding Johnny Juzang. I was, you know, we, uh, Juwan Howard kept it at it with Eli. Um, I don't know. The whole thing was just like hard to watch because it felt like Michigan couldn't get anything going, couldn't do anything right. And then every time down the floor, Juzang would somehow make some miraculous shot. And it was, I don't know. It, it's going to be tough. I agree. I, I'm not interested in watching tomorrow, honestly. And so um, it's going to be really tough, uh, especially if UCLA were to give Gonzaga any type of a game, then I think most Michigan fans are going to say, oh, my goodness, we, you know, we had a chance here. And so um, I, I was looking, I, like you said earlier, you know, if you did run into some type of a buzzsaw, then, okay, you get it. I was looking at the Gonzaga game as that buzzsaw, right? And and so I think that Michigan should have gotten past this game against UCLA, gotten the final four banner. And then if you run into the buzzsaw of Gonzaga, which looks like by far the best team this year, okay, I think everyone would understand that, especially without Isaiah Livers. Um, but I think that, you know, it is a disappointment, which 
I want to ask you this as well, because if you go back to a couple weeks ago, we said sweet 16 is, you know, that's probably what we want. And then anything past that is sugar. But now we're saying we're a little disappointed. I, I think we're feeling the same way, but did you have any, what do you think about that? You know, what do you think about how things are now after Tuesday compared to what we were thinking a couple weeks ago? Well, Justin, I mean, I'm a big believer and, and it was funny because um, I had a couple of people said, you know, same thing, like they were asking me, well, if, you know, if you look at like what our preseason expectations were for Michigan, this team greatly overachieved. That is correct. hundred percent. That is correct. But as the season goes on, expectations change. And that has been one of the things that has hurt the football program is that when you are 10 and one going into the final game of the regular season against Ohio State, and then you get your rear end handed to you by the Buckeyes, and then you go out there and lose your bowl game and you finish the year 10 and three, it's for me, it's always been like, well, you don't just get to go back and go like, well, 10 and three was a great year. Well, 10 and three was at that point kind of a bummer because you lost your final two games and you had all this potential to do something really special. I don't, at the end of the day, like an elite eight in Juwan Howard's second year, a big 10 regular season title. Those are really solid accomplishments. And it was a fun year and you went, we enjoyed it, right? Like we enjoyed it. You can't just because they lost to UCLA or they lost to like Illinois in, in, um, in that, in that game, uh, late towards the end of the regular season, you can't say like, well, we didn't enjoy this basketball season because at the end of the, it's like, it's about experiences. It's about memories. And, and the memories were positive and the experiences were positive Michigan fans. As the season unfolds, expectations do change. And I've always said, you get to the sweet 16, you see what can happen after that. You see what type of path unfolds. Beating Florida state, Michigan's in a position where they can go to the final four. They can, potentially win a national championship. And so what do you do with the loss to UCLA? Do you say like, well, it was a bust of a year? No, absolutely not. Do they still probably, if I was giving this year a grade, I would probably give them an A. I really would. And, and because they achieved quite a bit um, and they were one of the best teams in college basketball. But does that mean that you, that you can't be like disappointed and bummed out at the end of the year because of the way that they finished? I think you can, Justin. I think you can say, like, this was a, a missed opportunity. That's what it ultimately comes down to. This was a missed opportunity. The same way that the, you know, the 2018 Michigan-Ohio State game was a missed opportunity. The same way that the Detroit Tigers World Series opportunities in 2006 and 2012 were missed opportunities. Or Michigan basketball having a chance to win a national championship in 2013 or 2018. We'll look back and we, the 2013, awesome, right? 2017, they got to the Elite Eight. Mm -hmm. um, they had a chance if they had beaten uh, Oregon, you know, great year. We look back and, and in history, we're, we're, we're like, okay, that was a great season, but they're all missed opportunities. And ultimately the goal is to win a national title and Michigan has been close and they had another team that was capable. And so there's a little bit of a bummer. I'm not saying it's a major bummer. I'm not sitting here and skewering players. I'm certainly not going after Franz Wagner or Mike Smith, or Eli Brooks, who had great years for Michigan. But yeah, you can say like, ah, this is a bummer. We should have been there, and we lost a game that we shouldn't have lost. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there's something to like the whole, okay, well, it should have, you know, let's say that Isaiah Livers doesn't uh, get hurt, then, you know, it's it's definitely a, a big disappointment, 
right? I think that Isaiah Livers definitely has a factor here, but 100% it's a missed opportunity when you look at how that game went against UCLA. Um, so if it ended in a different fashion, if it did end against Gonzaga, then I think, you know, it's uh, you chalk it up to, wow, they're a better team. You know, this was probably Michigan ceiling this year. Uh, a final four is fantastic, even without, you know, especially without Isaiah Livers. Um, I, I don't know. It's just this it's this tough thing because you looked at this Michigan basketball team all year long and this was the team. You know, there's no doubt, even with even though Juwan Howard's in year two and things are still looking bright, obviously, for the future, this was the team. This was they had the senior leadership. They had the transfers that worked out perfectly. They had Franz Wagner, who's going to be probably a first round pick. Um, you know, they Hunter Dickinson comes on and he's unbelievable right away. I, it's just tough, I think, for Michigan fans to to watch this, uh, watch this team not come away with at least a final four banner, which is crazy to, to say, you know, that Michigan is the expectations are final four in just year two of Juwan Howard, but mm -hmm. this team was that good. They were that good. Uh, and they, they easily could have had a final four banner, honestly, if they play even just a decent game instead of one of probably if one of their worst games of the year, if not their worst game of the year. So I think that's where the frustration comes in for a lot of Michigan fans out there. And you and I, uh, as well as, is knowing that this team could have done more, could have, could have went further. And, and, and honestly, I think, you know, I do think Gonzaga is that buzzsaw. I think they're incredible, but I think Michigan would have given them at least a game. I don't know if it's a, I don't know how, how good of a game it is, but I think it's at least a game. So, well, Justin, to that, to that point, I mean, you know, as soon as Michigan lost to UCLA, I saw a lot of people be like, well, probably a good thing it happened because they would have gotten killed playing Gonzaga. And I laugh because it's like, people, like, do we I never mean, learn? Do we never learn that one game to the next, a different team is capable of showing up? You can yeah. hit your shots. I mean, the, the team that played LSU for the final 30 minutes in the second round, the team that played Florida State for the entire game, that team takes Gonzaga down to the final two minutes with a chance to win. The team that played UCLA gets blown up by 30 against Gonzaga, but the team that played UCLA honestly goes under 500 in the Big Ten this year. So I, I, I just – it drives me crazy when someone's like, well, you know, the – trans, uh, what is it, transformative property, mm -hmm. transient property, whatever the, the term is. Like, well, they would have lost to Gonzaga by a lot. No, like it would have been an entirely different game on a different night, four days rest, guys in a different type of groove, shots can go in totally different animal, different matchups, different way the defense is being played. And so I think they would have had a chance at the end of the day, the season is over with, you look forward to the next year, you look forward to, you know, as we said earlier, women's hoop. Um, and you just kind of put a wrap on, on the, the, the basketball season for, for Michigan. And, and really, I mean, you know, you've got some spring sports, depending where your fandom is, uh, you know, this, this might be the time where you just kind of transition to uh, major league baseball or, or the professional to the NBA, to the NHL. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you one more thing is now, you know, we've seen Juwan Howard perform, you know, obviously they, they did well in his first year, but still ended up ninth in the big 10. And unfortunately they could have had maybe a run in the, in the NCAA tournament, but it got canceled. And now they're elite eight and elite eight, a disappointing elite eight appearance in year two. So 
What does this mean for Juwan Howard no, no, going no, not forward? Not a disappointing Elite Eight appearance. If you're looking at over, if you like literally get like in the micro and you say, okay, they lost in the Elite Eight, were you disappointed at that moment? But history is not going to say it was a yeah. disappointing Elite Eight performance for Michigan. Well, you, you, so yes, I agree. But I think that there, what, what we're saying is there, there was more, le- there was stuff left on the table um, here. So um, I, my question is, what is Juwan Howard's expectation moving forward? Is it Elite Eight slash Final Four or bust every year? What what are we what are we looking at here? Is is he going to take a step back in year three? You know, I just want to know. I, I want to get your thoughts on how how Michigan fans should assess Juwan Howard going forward and what the expectation should be. Well, I mean, I think the expectation is to run a Michigan State level program. Uh, under Tom Izzo, um, you know, what Michigan basketball has the chance to be in the big 10 is essentially what Ohio state is in the football conference is if you are signing the number one recruiting class in the country, or at the very least, you're signing the number one recruiting class in the big 10, which I do believe uh, Juwan Howard has the power to do um, year after year after year, then kind of the expectation is that you're you're in the top two top three maybe top four of the big 10 which is a hard hard conference so top four of the big 10 every single year with a chance to uh you know going into mid-february with a chance to win the big 10 title um and then when you come to the NCAA tournament i I think sweet 16 and i've always said this for top four seeds which i think michigan should be year in and year out uh, sweet 16 is the floor um and then you know if you have a special team you're hoping to win it all you're hoping to get further. Is it, It's challenging because of the, the, the madness of March. Um, but no, I think Jawan Howard, I look at this and say, the next 10 years, I would expect Jawan, again, and it does he have to win this Big Ten title? No, but I would expect him to be competing for a Big Ten title in five out of those 10 years if he is signing the top class in the Big Ten. And I would expect over the next 10 years for him to be you know, consistently eight out of those 10 years in the Sweet 16 uh, a couple of final fours and hopefully a national championship. But I think the expectations can be really high because of what he has demonstrated he is capable of in his first two years, both as a coach um, as, and as a recruiter. Uh, and so this is, you know, I, I'm not trying to get out over my skis here, but I think Michigan's on the precipice of a really special decade uh, of basketball. Uh, and they just enjoyed a really special decade under John Beeline. Um, but if it's possible, I think Juwan's decade could be even a little bit better because of his his ability to recruit um, at a higher level than uh, than John Beeline did. Am I going to be disappointed if they if they finish fourth yesterday, next year in the Big Ten and they get bounced um, in the Sweet Sixteen round? I mean, maybe, but at the same time, like that's kind of where I'm at: top four Big Ten, Sweet Sixteen, and then going for you know just being putting yourself in position to win these things when those opportunities present themselves. Like if they go into the final two games of the big 10 regular season next year, and if they win one of them, they win the big 10. That's what my expectation is going to be. And if they get to the sweet 16 next year and they are a number one seed again, I'm going to have an expectation that they're going to get to the final four, but overall it's just like achieve at a high level. Cause I think that's what they're capable of. Yeah. I think, you know, that would be pretty incredible. Let's, you know, the thing is that, if they get to the sweet 16 again, which I agree should probably be the expectation because I have to imagine 
with the team, with looking at the roster right now um, and, and, you know, thinking about who's going to come back next year, they probably will end up as a one, two, three seed, right? So then your expectation as a one, two or three seed should be sweet 16, no doubt. And so once you get to the sweet 16, that, that would mean five consecutive sweet 16s for Michigan. So it's kind of crazy that we're, that's the expectation now. Um, but I think that would still be an incredible accomplishment. It would be a great run, especially under two different head coaches with, you know, essentially no, no you know, no transition period, obviously maybe tw- you call 2020 a transition period, but the tournament was canceled. So um, it, I, I agree. Like I agree that there could be another 10, year run here for Juwan Howard, but it's awesome that there has been a 10 year run under John Beeline plus a, a couple years of Juwan Howard. And so um, I, I agree. Michigan basketball is in a great spot still. I think we can be disappointed, but still look to the future and say, wow, we're in good hands here and things could even, you know, they, they could get better as well. Um, so I'm excited about the future. Um, this is not a situation where, uh, you know, we are, we're, you know, this was the team and now there's going to have to be two or three transit, uh, like, you know, rebuilding years or not even next year is a rebuilding year. No, Juwan Howard can reload right away again next year, especially if what we talked about with Shondi and Eli coming back. So, uh, they, they, there's no doubt that they can come back and really, you know, uh, blow it out of the water right away again in 2022. Well, and, and Justin, looking at Tom Izzo over the last 10 years, this year was obviously a disappointment. Over the last 10 years, he has six top 10 finishes, uh, was in the NCAA tournament every single year, um, would have been last year. Uh, he won the Big Ten regular season title, one, two, three, four out of those 10 years. Um, he made it to a final four uh, twice out of those 10 years. I mean, if you tell me over the next 10 years that Juwan Howard wins four big 10 titles, goes to 10 NCAA tournaments, goes to two final fours and has one national championship. Am I going to be a happy camper? Yes. I'll be a deliriously happy camper. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my gosh, it would, it's again, I think we've for as, so here's the thing for as bad as November's have been for Michigan fans over the past decade, marches have been unbelievable right so it, it's it's been fun it's been it i think we we i don't want to take it for granted what michigan basketball has offered michigan fans because they, it's been a saving grace uh over the past 10 years uh while michigan football has you know not lived up to the expectations so i'm i'm happy to be a part of uh a part of it as a fan here and as a uh you know somewhat a member of the media um it's been fun to talk about that. I think, you know, especially when we look back on this year too, we went through an, an abysmal uh, football season. And then if Michigan basketball was not great and we were still going through COVID and, and weren't able to get out and about and all this stuff, it would have been really depressing for Michigan fans. So Michigan basketball came in at a great time and was able to, to lift up the spirits of most Michigan fans and, uh, and, and give us a great run here for us to, to focus on. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it has been fun. Uh, next podcast, we'll talk some Michigan football. Um, happy Easter to all of you uh, and hope that uh, you have a great weekend. This is the stadium and main podcast. 
Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers.